Hi. If you're anything like me, you probably sometimes want to know where my shirt is. Maybe that information was mentioned in a podcast somewhere, but how are you going to find it? Are you going to personally watch all the episodes of the Integral Stage and all the adjacent meta community podcasts hoping to stumble on the information? Don't be stupid, stupid. That's too long of time. How would you even know you're checking the right podcasts? Instead, go to the Apple App Store on the internets and get Fathom.fm. Fathom.fm is a meta-podcast platform that not only figures out which podcasts you should be listening to, but which parts of those podcasts contain the answers to the questions you're interested in. Fathom.fm is making podcasts searchable, instantly chapterizable, and transcribable, and training up teams of suspiciously intelligent AIs to do the work for us. The digital universe is becoming curated by conversations and interfaced with through automated dialogue processes. So if you want to put yourself in the best position for digital synchronicity and distributed sense-making this year, you may have to submit to our robot masters. Ask your doctor if cyborg interfacing is right for you. Fathom.fm. I, I do it. Well, good morning. So we're here to give our Riverside subscription a trial run. I'm feeling like I should have done a facial <laughs> before I came on the uh, unmodified camera screen uh, with the uh, Riverside. But uh, hopefully this comes out well and that we have some good audio quality. I'm happy to be meeting together with Layman this morning to talk about the infamous Pascal's Integral Bat Cave. Um, so welcome, Layman. Pascal's. <laughs> I like that pronunciation. Hi, Bruce. Good to be here. You call your Pascal's, Pascal's integral bat cave a meme mine. And I've seen you digging around in there looking for a really rare, precious ore, metaphilosophical meme. So what in the hell is a metaphilosophical meme? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because there's a lot of, uh, I have a kind of critique about the way people create and also the way they view memes. I feel like there's an error on both sides. That comes from both my personal sensibility, but also from this idea that uh, this art form, so to speak, could be serving a function metaphilosophically. Uh, and so to perform that function, what I think it has to do is to capture a contrast in perspectives uh, and hold that difference as if it is equally as unified as it is different. And what I see people doing on the creator side is uh, just having their opinion, right? It's a kind of a screed sometimes. Here's a thing I like, or I'm attacking something I don't like. And on the viewer side, there's a tendency to make the same assumption that a person is just sharing their opinion, that they're affirming or denouncing or something like that. And to me, that doesn't get it to that metaphilosophical place. You've got to um, undermine yourself. You've got to bring two or more, at least implicit, possibly overt perspectives within meta-theoretical and meta-community space together in an interesting way that synchronizes with your affective decoding of the visual form of the meme template that you're using. And I think that's all, that's a good personal exercise. It's good for the community. And it's a thing that a lot of meme attempts don't get to. 
I mean, as a Gen Xer, can people really trust you with memes? I, you know, I never really felt like a Gen Xer because I have an older brother. And so I felt like he was Gen X, but I'm, I'm somewhere in the borderline. Can I be trusted with memes? I'm not, uh, I'm not asking for their trust. <laughs> they should be approaching this uh, uh, as a sort of uh, cheerful maliciousness of some kind. You know, there's a passage in the gospel where uh, the Christ character says, behold, I come as a thief in the night. When I was a kid, I remember trying to think what it would be like if you thought there was a thief in your house in the night, right? That kind of vigilance, I think, should be used to approach any content you find online. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with great caution and a bat behind your back, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so I was digging around in the bat cave this weekend, just thinking about our talk. And man, I came across some memes from maybe six or seven years ago. Do you remember, you know, when you started it and, and what was your what was your inspiration? Why were you feeling a need to was, open a space like this up? It was pretty early on. Like I remember it wasn't too long after I got into Facebook. Well, actually, I'd gotten into Facebook really early, so early that nobody I knew was on it. So I quit. And then a few years later, people were trying to get me on Facebook. I joined I uh, found like I didn't uh, had no interest in my feed. I didn't want to see what other people were saying. I didn't I didn't do likes at all back then. Uh, but then groups were really interesting. And there were these sort of burgeoning integral groups, uh, which were so integrated with everything else I was doing online that I sort of stopped going to and moderating on integral life and focused on the Facebook groups. And it became, I realized how easy it was to create them. I'm like, oh, there should be an integral politics group. Or somebody would contact me and they would say, hey, I'm integral and gay. Is there, is there anybody else I can connect to? And I'm like, let me just start an integral and gay group and put you in it. Like, it takes three seconds to start a Facebook group. So I was very free with that. Uh, so I was in that phase of just start groups. And I was making a, a point online in a discussion about something and a guy made a comment and I wish I remembered who it was, but I'm, I'm maybe actively trying to forget who people are at this point in my life. <laughs> but he said, that's a really interesting point. Can you phrase it in the form of Batman slapping Robin? <laughs> and I thought, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. So I looked it up and it turns out it was a standard meme template. And I, I didn't track like bits of cultural flotsam and jetsam. I was aware of memes from Richard Dawkins, you know, kind of a gene of culture. Okay, but I wasn't following memes around. So I found meme generator sites, and I found that Batman slapping Robin was a main one. And I made maybe a dozen attempts to put the philosophical point I was making into this format. And then I looked at it, I thought, well, these are pretty good. I actually, I like reading these myself. So I just spun up a Facebook group and I said, look, we should all do this. Anybody who wants to get a different medium perspective on the ideas we're tracking um, and who wants to do something like the Keegan move, like to take these subjects embedding and make it into an object for the subject to contemplate, like take take the mixture of affects you're feeling relative to higher perspectives and get them out in front of you. It would be a great way to play. And if they were interesting, people could just use them in context. That's why I thought it was a mine. Let's just make a lot. Most of them will be garbage, but some of them will be gold in terms of vivifying the community and crystallizing some kind of interesting conjunction at a higher level. Right. I think in a way the internet forces this, um, 
the uncanny juxtaposition aesthetic of pluralism, and the metamodernist, the integralist, has to be able to really embrace and enfold that, but then show it to perform some integrated function at a higher level that's good for you, good for the community, good for the ideas. Yeah, I've really enjoyed your uh, slapping Batman memes. Those have been running for years, and they're they're great. And same thing happened with me on on Facebook, where you know I we were active together on Integral Naked many years ago, and then you disappeared. And then we interacted on Integral Life and Integral Multiplex, and I had the Ning forum, and I just went over to Facebook just to start it as a little mirror group because there's so many people over there. But it really felt like there's just so much energy and and happening here that everything else kind of fell by the wayside. And as much as I have qualms about Facebook, it's just where at least old people like us, where we find a lot of action going on, you know. So, yeah, I I noticed in the beginning the the framing of the group was you know integral bat cave, but over the years it's kind of expanded. So yeah, what. What's been the evolution of what you're focusing on over the years? Yeah, it's interesting. At first, it was Integral Bat Cave uh, because we were focused mostly on the integral community. It was the not that I didn't know there were other communities, but uh, it was getting most of my attention and becoming um, becoming someone who had deeply assimilated and could regenerate new forms of that understanding space was my focus at that time. But in particular, a combination of my temperament with people from adjacent communities and my sense that the the integral light is more important than the integral list. We need people who are able to inhabit and feel into vision logic space, not people who just have a map that's really good, even though the maps are great. So I had that sensibility. But then when we started the integral stage project and I started to conversationally map across uh, metamodern and game B and liminal and building and you know all of these other communities that have a lot in common uh, then the the tensions that are arising within the similarities and differences in the overlaps between those communities became much more important than they had been before when I was just looking at it through the integral community lens so I think the uh, the conceptual stuff, the meta theory stuff, and the spiritual stuff around different ways to poke at non-duality, that's been roughly constant the whole time. Uh, my attempt to hearten us and harden us by uh, challenging us and undermining and giving us our own negatives, that kind of thing, that's all pretty constant. But what's changed is a, a lot more interest in the uh, permeable fault lines within the multiple community space. Yeah, there's something about memes, especially good memes that involve this meta move, this going meta on something. So it seems especially well suited for looking at those overlaps. I've had a lot of fun playing with the, the you know, the the tensions between the integral and meta modern uh, communities in 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 my memeing on the on the site. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's um, you know, I hope what I'm doing. And I hope that the the best of the people who are playing in that space are sort of um, all purpose affirmers and insulters, right? So you make one meme and it's about how 
integrals being sabotaged by metamodernism. You make the next meme and it's about how metamoderns that got some edge over integral or all these sort of things, right? One meme, you're a hero. And the next meme, you're undermining and attacking yourself. Right? I make memes that undermine me and that triumph me. I, I make memes that poke fun at the integral stage. I try to be, I, I think we need to be free of the notion that we have to stay on the positive side of the things we're identified with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed that too. In fact, I was making a self deprecating meme the other day, you know, saying serious, ironic memes. Am I right, fellow millennials? You know, that, <laughs> that thing where the guy's trying to pretend like he fits in at high school. And uh, uh, it ended up inviting Brett Cash Game Amadeus, his name of the week, to attack me as a boomer for about 17 comments in a row. <laughs> but this was supposed to be self-deprecating, you know? So, But it, it, it's fun. It, 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 yeah. I was just going to say that reminded me of one that I looked at yesterday preparing for this. And it's the, the I mean, the really the skeptical black kid looking at the white lady. Yes. Uh, right. And say like, so your, uh, so your lack of ethics in choosing guests for the integral stage is proof of your integrity, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of true, but also an obvious attack to make against us. <laughs> yeah. That that's awesome. I'd forgotten that one. That's, that's really good. I mean, this group has come in and out of my radar, you know, for for years. But it really seems like in the last couple of years, uh, it's just been kind of going through a resurgence and spiking. And what are your thoughts and, and perceptions on on the popularity of this group and the way it's it's landing? It's the second most popular of the groups I created. The most popular is my Nietzsche group that I pay no attention to except every week or two I have to decide whether or not the the hundred people who asked to join that week can be included or not. Uh, so that's kind of off in its own world. But this one is has been very popular. It's gone through waves. There was a period of time where it got a lot of kind of commercial spamming and a lot of people who were posting very one-sided things that other people were reacting against. But I think it's sort of seems like it's found its groove in terms of most people playing roughly uh, within the context that it's set up for. But why it's attractive, I think there's a lot of people and some particular temperaments who look at the transformational community, community space and they're like, this is lacking conflict, it's lacking color, it's lacking humor. It's way too focused on serious philosophical agendas. Where's the counterbalance? Where's the multimedia? Where's the, uh, in, where's the integration of chaos in all of this? And how do we keep ourselves vibrant as a scene? So that's a deep concern of mine. I think that going forward, the, the ability of these um, thought spans and personal practice depths to actually influence the world will come as much from the vibrancy of the scene as it will from the integrative pluralistic models. And I think I'm not alone in sensing that. And I think a lot of people who uh, have grown up in the digital medium and have had a good conscience about inhabiting that medium are, are especially looking for that color and vibrancy and juxtaposition and willingness to lean into self-undermining and conflict and play. Have you ever noticed how everyone, I mean, everyone gets the meme as developmental tool thing wrong? I mean, can you help clear up these misconceptions, sir? 
Uh, well, <laughs> uh, can you specify, sir, what those misconceptions are? Well, I've, I've just heard you complaining about it before that, you know, that, that memes are really a developmental tool, but people just don't seem to get how they can be used that way. Okay. Yeah. I touched on that a little bit earlier. I think the, um, what they're doing, you know, we could throw up a four quadrant grid on this or something like that. What they're doing individually is a bit, like I said, they're, um, they're an opportunity for the individual to objectify sets of affective perspectives, sort of affective perspective complexity, to take some of that and get it out front and to experimentally hybridize a contrast in perspectives within the space that they normally affirm. And also to challenge them with the edge of of chaos especially when there's a value flip opportunity right to play in that space to do the serious play that keeps you at the you know the proximal learning and emerging edge i think is much easier with these sorts of tools i think like i said to use it developmentally is to use it in a certain way where perspectives are brought together in a particular sense uh, also i think there's a need for individuals who are operating in this space to stay a little bit closer to where the civilization is moving. You don't want to get too caught up in the fads of the moment, but there is an unfolding out of the digital medium itself that is a form of nourishment, but also defines the communication space in which these understandings are going to move forward. Uh, and so to constantly teach ourselves the new aesthetics and conscience constantly afford ourselves the opportunity to get outside of the way we're holding perspectives by putting our holding inside some kind of structure. So I think those are very obvious individual ways. As a community, there's an equally important um, usage of these things, which is to make ourselves more anchored in the contemporary cultural spirit, not necessarily at the surface, but in its depths, and to make us more anti-fragile, like to inoculate us from within against attacks that will be coming from the outside in the extremely messy conflict-oriented space of information technology. And to prove that we can play and take a joke and communicate outside of essays and pontifications, but still at the same level of subtly and intellectual and spiritual sophistication. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that about some of the memes in this group where, you know, they're actually in in some ways really insider baseball but when you get them they're hilarious you know <laughs> i mean they're taking some pretty abstract like you were doing one recently about yin and yang and the 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 guy and the gal were in bed and she's looking over her shoulder thinking i bet he's thinking about you know how the world is organized in a, a yin yang a male female polarity and <laughs> then he's thinking about the their differences, their sameness, you know, so. <laughs> That's a great one. I mean, like, I, my pattern lately in the last six months is when you go to a, a meme generator site, I want to see what the new ones are. Uh, but there are some favorites. And the, the, the girl looking suspiciously at the guy in bed is one of the classics. Like, the first time I played with it was, uh, I'll bet he's thinking about other women. And he's thinking about how to get other women more uh, represented within integral online spaces. <laughs> <laughs> which is something a lot of us have faced. Uh, 
but you can expand that out in terms of its multiplicity and complexity and subtlety to the point where it's doing these almost non-dual moves relative to how dualities themselves are held. So I, I really like that one myself too. <laughs> Have you ever, I mean, I'm thinking about Ken Wilber writing kind of that absurd book, Boomeritis, which I really, you know, I, I, <laughs> I could not hardly make it through that thing, but, but, he was he was making light, and it actually, in a way, kind of proved prophetic. Some of the things that he was exaggerating in that book, within you know ten years or twelve years, really seems to have have come out more strongly in the culture. And maybe it's too early days. Maybe it's hard to pull out an example. But have you ever had an experience of of like making a meme and feeling like that was prophetic in some way, or that you felt? that you were you had your finger on the way something was moving that later kind of showed up that way uh no that's would be a really interesting thing to check for um i i drop them as soon as i've made them <laughs> it's rare that i even see the comments on one yeah. um you know there's a few that stay in my mind but really a part of it for me is it's a really pure way to interact in in communication with community like I, I'm often busy and I often don't want to do uh, the kind of long verbal deep dive that I might want to do or the the visual time that I used to put so much into Pascal's integral optics series, making all those diagrams. That takes time. It takes effort. Uh, so I might not want to do that or might not have the time. I might want to stay up on what's currently happening at the surface of the communities, but I can come in and I can make one of these and it encodes an idea or a combination of ideas. It's interesting, it's vibrant, it pleases me, and I can walk away. It's not it's not really a discussion that I follow up on, but there may be, in, in the same sense that the scene in The Simpsons famously predicted Trump's announcement of his uh, election campaign, yeah. if I went back through all of them, there, there might be an interesting way in which they are scrying tools for the emerging future. I, I would love to check on that. Yeah, I think I think we should. I think we should dig around in there. <laughs> you know, you posted one a few days ago, or maybe I don't know, not that long back, of uh, some guy in a dark, dramatic background with lightning coming out of his eyes, and you were saying that this is the way to prepare for the Emerge Toronto conference coming up. So I want to know, since I'm planning to come, what what does that mean? What am I what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was one of those ones where it's like, uh, new this week on, on the image flip website. I'm like, why do I even do that? Sometimes you go to these sites and they have, here's how other people have been using this meme template, but sometimes no one's done anything. And somebody just uploaded this image and there were no an antecedents for me. I had to just like, what am I going to do with this? And <laughs> because I'm working towards uh, working with these people for Emerge Toronto, I thought, well, maybe a good way to throw this in, but there's a sense in which the the discourse around Emerge Toronto is much more focused on subtle energetic phenomenon than say maybe some of the previous ones were. The 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 pre-event, which is going to be organized by the uh, creating consciousness people, and then the event itself and the team, the CC team and the ILR team are very focused on getting the resonances right, getting the energies right. And who knows if it'll succeed, but that's where the focus point is. So in order to prepare, you know, feel your lightning body, 
<laughs> and come in with that kind of sensitivity. <laughs> okay. I'll go all powder before I come, I guess. You know. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah that's a good callback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm curious. Are memes the, the new language of the Holy Spirit? Uh, I expect the Holy Spirit to be polylingual. <laughs> Uh, if anything is its new language, it might be uh, genetic splicing or binary code or something like that. But uh, there is a way in which there's an ancient sacred language of hieroglyphs uh, and that the, the emoji is like a clumsy, primitive, childish way to approach that language. But I think the wisest of the ancient Egyptians and Sumerians and the people who tried to make cities thousands of years before that was involved in this act of trying to encode your best and deepest wisdom and the convergence of all the disciplines of your cultural knowledge in picture form or quasi-picture form. So there's an ancient disposition in the Holy Spirit to speak these kinds of evocative, super dense hieroglyphics. There's also another thing to there, which I would call the McLuhan point, right? So McLuhan was saying, we had this period of time where we went really visual, right? We'd moved from being an acoustic oral civilization and a scriptural civilization to being a print civilization. And that super concentrates your brain on being able to decode linear sequences of visual signs that are very abstract. And that as we move into digital, we get more tactile and more acoustic and it brings down the intensity of the visual intricacies. So instead of being as willing to read thousands of pages of tiny, dense visual linear code, we want our visuals to be cooler in the McLuhan sense, more, more requiring of our imaginal input, more general, more like a poster, more like an illuminated manuscript, more like a comic book. And that this is a form, in his view, that's implicit in the digital medium. So it might be that it's a language the spirit has to speak to talk to people who inhabit biodigital civilizations. And I think there's a, it can do that in many different ways. But for me, there's an aesthetic in there as well that's, you know, like 4chan used to be the perverse underground heart of the internet. And there were people who were able to take some of that energy and make it more interesting, more avant-garde, more palatable. Like the whole Tim and Eric thing was like that. It plays with a certain uh, particular style of anarchic enfolding and uncanny juxtapositions and retroactive, ironic, but sincere affirmations. And which side of the framing are you on? All these sort of beautiful things that we've seen come out of postmodernism and that metamodern has to be able to integrate and reconsolidate in that there's a, a definite flavor of how to do something. And I'm, I'm impassioned to try to help the Holy Spirit learn to speak that particular hieroglyphic language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm noticing a kind of inversion between, you know, this, our, our lived spaces and our digital spaces. And some people were saying that, you know, you used to get on the internet to take a break from the real world, but now you go out in the real world to take a break from mm. um, the internet. Right. And there was a, 
a image of a temple I saw the other day that just you know was hilarious. It was this big temple in India, and the entire side of the temple they had the the, the you know Brahmin and the pujari and all that sitting on the ground in front of it, but the entire side of the temple had been painted to mirror their Facebook page. So you saw, you know, the friend suggestion, I mean, you know, the friend suggestions and the friend list and, and the little tabs and the whole, the whole Facebook page was just painted on the side of the temple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it takes us into the particular kind of Bardo realm that this world is becoming for a while. You know, the, uh, the aesthetic I tried to evoke in my, my Stoa presentation on amphibious apocalyptarianism, right? It's it's a little bit disorienting. It's a little bit jumbled. But when you look at any of the pieces of the jumble, they're actually high-grade complex depth uh, as long as it can be held together and as long as you can surf back and forth between, whoa, that's too much ontological flooding and, oh, there's the coherence. But you've got to keep swaying in that space. That, that one you were talking about reminded me of I very seldom post something in the bad cave that I didn't make myself, but one that I saw right when COVID started that I just was in love with. It's, it's an image at the top and an image at the bottom at the top. It's a woman in a mask and it says, and it sounds like it's going to be paranoid right wing. They want you to do this. <laughs> but underneath he goes to keep you from doing this. And it's a sexy woman in a bikini making out with a dinosaur while a giant alien face watches her from the woods. And you're like, yes, that, that thing is emerging. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, with the, with my herpes experiment years ago, very definitely an infamous herpes? experiment. Herpes. Oh, herpes. Not herpes. <laughs> I did make a t-shirt that said, you know, I said, herpes with a little herpes picture on there but in the best days of the herpes forum it was a, a basically a memeing and joking site that was pretty early on but the way it was framed and the way it set up it invited too much ultimately too much one-sided you know identification and, and polarization that happened which it was just supposed to be a joke anyway it wasn't supposed to be a living forum but i think the bat cave has become what I felt the promise of herpes was in the beginning, this place for a little bit of anarchic play, poking fun at the self, lifting up all of the, all of the sides for their glory and their absurdity, um, you know, and, and, and playing with the, you know, the postmodern juxtaposition and madness to try to extract some, you know, integral or metamodern insight and, and, and humor and, and, and play out of it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things, as you know, that I've focused on is a, is a subconscious turn, is trying to keep in mind that the, the waking personality is not the primary one who's evolving in terms of their depth and complexity. So then the question becomes, how do you also grow subconsciously? There's different ways to think about that, like acting on subconscious prompts and evaluating that, trying to make your perceptions go more deeply into your subconscious but one of the ways to play in that space and to um, negotiate and renegotiate the boundary between the conscious and the subconscious is to look for what's emerging at the leading edge of your perception of the evocativeness of a form. Right. So some of the stuff, I mean, I, I posted years ago, this uh, 
so John Verveke, our, our friend Verveke, he had this weird poster for Voices with Verveke when it first came out. And it's a picture of him looking off to the side. And every time I saw it, I imagined red lasers coming out of his eyes. And so I made this one. I just put those lasers in and then you have someone screaming off scene. <laughs> <laughs> right. But for me, it's what I, I was taking something um, partially inchoate in my subconscious, validating it and moving it just across the boundary into the conscious, which has a consciousness development possibility. But it also has a, a kind of affirmation of the unconscious intelligence and an attempt to bring it along on the journey or even place its impulses at the heart of the developmental journey. And when you play with the meme templates, I've got one up on the screen here that I like, which is, uh, it's like, you know, 17th century early enlightenment guys. They're screaming at each other and they're pointing at something that says, we've integrated mind and heart. That's everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course, they left out the body, but it's something mm. about the look of the painting of these mm. early liberal enlightenment interlocutors that evoked that out of me. So where was it located? You know, in the image? Yes. In the culture? Yes. In the mental space of meta theory? Yes. But also something in my subconscious had to go, yeah, that one. It recognized something that it wanted to use as a communication tool. And I'm really interested in letting it do that communication. Yeah, that's very cool to just really tune in and participate with the image in that way. And so... What would what message would you like to give to Richard Dawkins? Uh, I think the greatest message for Richard Dawkins is the one that's in the two part South Park episode that he's featured in. I don't know if you ever saw that one, but uh, Cartman's so eager to get the next new gaming system that he can't wait till it comes out. So he gets butters to. Uh, cause an avalanche so he'll be cryogenically frozen and then he'll get woken up and it'll be the next day and he'll get the gaming device but of course the 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 marker for where he's going to get buried gets covered by the snow and he's left frozen for a thousand years and he's reawakened in the future now in the past where the story takes place the the teacher mr garrison who had the sex change has invited richard dawkins to come and teach the kids and dawkins is lecturing them about atheism He's trying to get his message across, um, and he, there's like a real moral zeal to make sure these people are not deluded as sense makers going forward. But a thousand years in the future, when Cartman wakes up, the world is an apocalyptic nightmare as various factions of the one true atheism fight each other for who's the real atheist. And like that image, like it doesn't matter what the content of your belief system is. It matters how you hold it. And you All can right. be a fundamentalist about your atheism. You can be amber about your green. You can be orange about your integral. You can be red about your amber. Like it's about the style, not the content primarily. Yeah, that's perfect. All right. So out of that, then what would you say to him? You know, I would want him, like, one of the things this meme thing is doing is saying, what's the cultural and emotional intelligence that's requisite to go alongside the intellectual notion of a meta and meta-meta mapping? Uh, Richard, what's, what's the emotional equivalent of science, right? If, if these were two independent Gardnerian lines of intelligence, and in terms of your understanding of the world, people should be at least here. 
in their hearts, in their ability to relate to people, in their in the way they get triggered or not get triggered? What's the affective correlate of that degree of understanding that you think is so important? Mm. I love that. Yeah, I know. I, I, I figure he's going to be watching this, so I just wanted to make like, sure. Huge fan, huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do you have any that in, in preparing for this, are there any memes that uh, you you know have been perusing that, that really stand out as, as kind of exemplary of, of the mood and the spirit of what you and others have been doing over there? A couple caught my eye when I went over it yesterday. Actually, one was an image of me that Dylan Thomas had posted. It's just, it said, like, layman's relentless search for unintegrated perspectives continues as a picture of just basically my ass and my head's inside this little ice cave. I'd taken it on vacation in Minnesota. <laughs> it just looked so preposterous and said such a weird thing about me that I loved it. Um, what's stood out to me a lot lately that I've enjoyed are the ones that play with the meta-modern integral relationship. There's a sort of, uh, there's a, there's a Bob Dobbs dad with a TV screen on a blue background. And I love that aesthetic. I grew up loving the church of the subgenius style, which informs a lot of this, but it's, it's sort of the ad is, you know, have you heard about meta-modernism? And he's showing you the new product, but it just says integral theory on it. <laughs> right, which is a critique that a lot of people bring to metamodernism is that it's basically smuggling in integral theory in a lot of ways. Uh, and you can make the exact opposite critique, but that's one nice piece to grab. Um, I like I, I like there's two kinds of Spider-Man meme that I really like. The Spider-Man pointing at each other is a great opportunity to present like polylateral perspectives. Uh, right. It's sort of a, I, I did a drawing when I was a kid. I, I in high school, I wrote a book based on the chapters were based on the tarot deck. And uh, the hero was Leonardo da Vinci, who turned out to be an immortal, who was also the same person as Marcel Duchamp. And there was a whole Enlightenment conspiracy thing going on. But it had all these drawings that I made. And one drawing was of these two stick figures pointing at each other. And one of them says, that's not me. And the other one says, that's not me either. <laughs> So they're agreeing about that. So in the, the Spider-Man memes where they're all just th that thing that people do, even in our communities, where they all accuse each other of the same thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's a beautiful, interesting thing to capture from out of the community. But it also, to me, looks like what happens inside the plural of our own psyches. Uh, the other kind of Spider-Man thing that I always really liked is just like guys dressed as Spider-Man. So there's a great one of, of this kind of chubby guy dressed as Spider-Man. He's got the slide projector behind him and the thing in his hand. And I put, uh, you know, here's why I'm more integral than Ken Wilburn. It's slide one of 600, right? And just this <laughs> idea that uh, <laughs> the average internet user or someone who's vaguely familiar with integral theory thinks, no, no, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so perverse but it also speaks to this beautiful uh spiritual confidence that people have in their own ability to be the sense makers <laughs> i was going through a number of them um this weekend and i found some great ones by dylan thomas I, he had some really funny ones one of them that really stood out to me was this guy on his on on all fours covered in spaghetti and weird kind of 
iridescent tentacle things coming off of his head and looking like it's going into his ass with two women standing on either side of him. And it says, you know, I'm the, the I'm the universe experiencing itself. <laughs> yeah. And on the I, integral. Uh, and then I'm on, oh, Oh, I just ahead. one popped into my head. I have, it's totally unconnected to that one, but it was, I was looking at it last night. It was, uh, I think I've done two versions of this with different images. It's sad Keanu Reeves sitting on a bench and there's like a chicken in front of him. And it's, he's just, oh, it's a, when you're all about the new collaborative intelligence, but no one calls <laughs> <laughs> this, this notion that I, that's uh, this perversely insufficiently articulated aspect of communities focused on intersubjectivity and we space, but they're doing it in their own isolated little way in their own isolated little world. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's like I, I'm. I always want to get onto the bone people and the circling people for not talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was uh, there was one I think I did on the uh, same theme with the integral and meta modern, where you know Ken Wilber is sitting there and he hands over you know integral theory to somebody, and then the other person's looking at it, and then a little bit later with the metamodern label, I made this, right? So, yeah, I mean, but it's back and forth and someone could do the same thing to Wilbur that maybe Aurobindo and Gebser hand him something. <laughs> well, there's a, the multiplicity of interpretive uses of the structures when you find a good template is fantastic. Like uh, the one where um, there's a kid drowning and the mother's paying attention to the other kid and then there's like a, a dead corpse under the water already. You can go, oh, game B, integral, metamod. You can put it in a lot of different ways, and you could switch them around. It would be just as good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I made one with with the Ken Wilbur at the very bottom, and you know, basically, I think it was meta metamodern spiritualist saying we need to honor our cultural legacy and our ancestors. And then the the kid being neglected is like twenty years of integral community building, <laughs> just slowly drowning. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, uh, one thing I thought of that is really useful in that way is a, I, I love this one. It's a, a scene from the family guy of, of Noah on the ark, and there's a penguin and an elephant. And then on the other side of him is a penguin with an elephant head. <laughs> so, clearly, something's been going on, right? And he's saying, what the fuck is this? Right. So I made one where the elephant was non-dual traditions and the penguin was postmodern discourse. And the result was metamar and spirituality. But you could you could put almost anything on those animals and it would it would highlight size. So long as you use terms out of the meta theoretic space, it would highlight a meta theoretic conjunction in an edifying and novel way. Yeah. I I love the ones that you've been doing recently with Elmo, and I don't know if he's like snorting sugar or coke but <laughs> those are great yeah it looks uh i don't know where it's from a lot of these i find i'm there are kind of new the form is new to me so and i recognize that thing you know that people would have like i don't really know what that is and you want to be standoffish <laughs> it takes a little bit of time to go all right i'm gonna find out what this is or at least find out how i want to use this thing it doesn't it's not somebody else's thing even if i don't know it's my thing which is a, an important lesson about uh, how we read in general, like how we decode images, but also how we decode texts. There's a lot of people who say, well, why don't you put things in a simpler way? 
know, and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. But the fact that you read something and you don't get it and you have this silly human reaction like, oh, that information belongs to somebody else who's occupying some status or capacity apart from me. That's not really the right thing. You're like, I don't necessarily get it, but I'm going to take as much of it as I can take. That's the right attitude. And so that's like when I came across the Elmo, I didn't really know where it was coming from. I don't know if that's sugar or cocaine, but he's looking <laughs> at two things and it's Elmo and Elmo's ridiculous. And he just goes for the cocaine. And that is so <laughs> viscerally understandable to every symbolic organism that if you want to make a point about something at an abstract level, you can just tie it to that immediately comprehensible move or biological choice. <laughs> You know, I, I see a lot of these templates, too, and I don't know where they're coming from. I remember I made one where there was a – it looked like a little green guy and then a, a red and a purple bigger guys. And the little green guy was saying, I just integrated my warrior self and my tribal being. And then the red and the purple guys beat the hell out of him. Um, and, you know, I just thought that was funny. But I, it turns out I think that that was like a gay shower meme. And I had no idea. <laughs> Little green guy with a bar of soap. And <laughs> well, one of the things popped up in my mind. One is this sort of, uh, if you're really playing in, I don't know what we would call it, metaperspectival, hyperdimensional, you're playing in strange big spaces. That when you show up, it, sh it should have a flavor of of coherent incongruity to it right if if you encounter a, a deity in deity yoga or if you see an alien or an elf or something or if you were to run into dumbledore or or bindo there's something like this is a visitor from a plane of cosmic reality that is so strange <laughs> it's hard for me to track and yet they're holding it together somehow that's mm. a feeling I expect to have when I encounter actual artifacts from a bigger space. Mm. Uh, so I think we should be really intrigued by that sort of mood. I think we should be um, uh, super interested in folding in perspectives that challenge us at the edge of our cultural construct. Like I did one with the, how did it go? It was just, just zooming tree frog. It's like <laughs> a new group reinvented part of the integral model. I'll be right there. <laughs> right because we we sort of we play we get super excited if somebody comes up and we're like oh we recognize those patterns and then we're like maybe that's the new thing and then other people are like what we can't just jump off the boat we already have those things so there's a <laughs> there's a turmoil there's something to be critiqued about our own uh joinerism toward any new version of the thing we're already in so that's a critique other people can make of us and what we want to do is be able to fold that in to digest it and see what kind of sense it makes. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways, simple ways to do it is with kind of cartoon play. And I, I'm doing it for myself. And then I'm showing other people, hey, I did this for myself, which is this is a way for me to try to take on board something that might be challenging the space I usually identify with. Hmm. Yeah, speaking of... Uh images or or communications that strike you as incongruous and hard to track and you know that maybe there's something there but it's like what is this what do you think of farsum's memes i i appreciate the energy he has for this um they usually don't 
hit me. Like there's a sort of uh, when you're trying when a person's trying to make a joke, it's like you're trying to get a person to have a a, a yes and a no experience simultaneously. That's also mm-hmm. a thing from Grzegorian theory. But you want to have that. If they hit, then there's a short circuit. And you're like, I felt a yes and a no simultaneously. And I also, even if I don't track everything, I get what this is about. And I don't fully understand everything this is about. So it's in that ballpark. And he's persistent as a player. I really appreciate that. And there's intelligence there. And there's energy there. It often doesn't hit me in the way that I want a meme to hit me. But it's always really about something. And really has creative energy behind it. Yeah, I feel that too. There's sometimes he does something that really just, you know, it, it, it does hit the spot. But a lot of the times it feels like I know that there was going to be a joke. <laughs> and even though I didn't get that joke moment, I appreciated the, you know, where he was pointing, um, you know, with, with, you know, maybe some incongruities or different kinds of things that he's looking at. He's, he seems to be really tracking kind of the high tech developments. Um, and how that's interfacing with culture, um, with with the promise and with the ridiculousness that's that's there. There's a, you know, uh, my childhood friend John, who was at the first Meta Modern Spirituality Retreat, John De Grief. He always really liked jokes in that kind of Albert Brooks way, where you're not sure it's a, the kind of joke is like you don't quite know it's a joke or not. It's sort of like a half a joke. Uh, I see that in Far Sam's work sometimes. Yeah. Like often it's hard for people to track just because, like you say, it's coming out of the tech corner of things that not everybody is uh, facile enough with to follow through on. But I think sometimes it's the the joke is just it's an off kilter tilt. It's not quite mm-hmm. a joke. <laughs> and for some people, that's the most lovely and engaging thing and part of their own practice in occupying interstitial and adjacent spaces. Yeah, it's kind of a Norm Macdonald move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I asked Chat GPT not long ago to tell me some jokes, and Chat GPT doesn't do very well with that. But uh, in our last conversation with John we had just a few days ago, I was going to bring this up, but I didn't. Just, I, I don't know, thinking about the technology and, 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 and memeing, and, you know, you can get mid-journey and things to produce memes now and they don't say anything and there are a few of those memes actually in the bat cave where it's an image and it's like nonsensical letters and you know you the idea is there but there's no content you know but i i asked chat gpt can you come up with a neologism um, and I wanted to mention this because some of my favorite memes are by Scout making fun of the meta community. And she has, has like, I think, you know, Robert Downey Jr. going like this and sprinkling dust is like neologisms. You know? <laughs> so I asked um, Chat GPT to come up with a neologism that offers us a new insight or a new perspective that integrates ideas from multiple leading edge communities. And so the answer I got from ChatGPT was this word entangliance. And it said that entangliance points to the quantum theoretical idea of entanglement, but also post-metaphysical idea that everything is related to everything and 
the object-oriented ontology view that all things have a kind of strange agency, even if they aren't normal kinds of entities, they're nevertheless entangled in systems of becoming and have a kind of agentic influence. So chat GPT came up with that. And so then I asked it, you know, well, why did you say entanglience? That's kind of ugly. I mean, what's the eance at the end of it? And it said, well, if I said entanglement, that's just pointing to a process that everybody I knows, that everybody knows. But I wanted you to have this idea of a quality of being in which all of these things were integrated. That's amazing. First of all, entanglience. I love that word. That's great. Uh, sounds good. But that's that captures uh, a large part of what goes on in the mind of the creator of a neologism. Right. And I've always thought of this as a kind of I'm, I'm ambivalent about neologisms. I go both ways on that because there's a sort of refusal to uh, retroactively interpolate the new meaning into the existing form, which I think is the more conservative mood. And I'm really attracted mm -hmm. to that. Like I'm, when I talk about Nietzsche, it's my Nietzsche. When I talk about faith, it's my faith. I want to join my ancestors in reinterpreting the word that's been passed down to us. But it's also fun to play with the new words. And that play is basically, I want to say something. And if I say it with any of the existing words, I think you're going to get the wrong impression. So I've got to doctor that word somehow to try to get across the specific perspective that I wish to add to the discussion. Exactly. Yeah. And there's something in that, I think, in a good, in a good neologism, that is something like meme play. It, it captures and juxtapos juxtaposes um, different ideas in a way that can actually, if it lands, it can it can hit you, you know, and and you feel something move inside. Yeah, with I it. think the uh, I mean, people make neologisms, and we have this game of like, is this going to be the new replacement word or not? And it, it almost never is, right? It's not really a contribution to language. Yeah, it's the gesture of making it that has the greatest value, and I think that goes a bit toward the meme discussion because we're in a very, and maybe it's a McLuhan thing. Uh, but we're in a very performative kind of culture now, right? Just all of the digital um, presentation and representation tools put us perpetually on a stage. Everything's reality TV now. It's sort of a bit of entertainment and a bit of life. And in that world, everything's uh, striking a pose, right? Like as if we were silent movie actors. Everything's a... You know, it's not like the neologism itself is the thing. It's like, I went like this with my mind and then created this and that whole structure the dynamism of striking that pose is what's being communicated i think that's even underneath the uh, you know the emergence in our lifetime of the prevalence of the word like uh, as an interstitial agent within our popular grammars everything it's like this and it's like that you know, you could you could make the Heideggerian argument that people are withdrawn from the language, that they're not making a full connection to it. And so they're replacing it with a simulation. But the other more positive way to read that is it's like this, right, that it's a it's an aside to make a gesture, to make an affective posture and that that's forcing its way into the language that was primarily left brain abstract coding. And now it's got to be equally as much gestural and performative. There was a meme you did that uh, that that walks that line very well. It has the yes and no, the the good and bad qualities about it at the same time. And I think it was uh, it was the guy, you know, doing the tapping his his head, you know, and saying any 
perspective you have about my theory of all perspectives proves my theory true. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, uh, and I'm not sure, like, because there's a couple that I thought of when you said that. So I'm thinking of this, of the one with the, the cunning black guy. <laughs> That's been a really yeah. fertile one for me in attempt to communicate some of my feelings to the community. Like the first one I ever did with him is probably still my favorite where he says, uh, I've got an anti-integral theory just in case. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. I, I hope our uh, our conversation here inspires some people to go in there and, and dig around a little bit and, and contribute some. Uh, but I, I've been really enjoying it. There's been a lot of stuff going on. I know Jermaine dove in there recently and he had some pretty funny ones, but he also got himself into a little bit of hot water. I think it was probably the first time the group got called out by Facebook. Uh, yeah, I, I actually um, really liked a couple of Jermaine's. Um but I got a message the other day, so I, I'm on a, and it's tricky because on my phone, I have to switch modes in order to uh, edit a Facebook group. Uh, I have to switch to desktop view or it won't present me with all the controls. And mm -hmm. I'm never sure how much control I actually have or what Facebook's doing behind the scenes. So I saw I switched over and then Facebook's like, hey, somebody's violated our rules in your group, but don't worry, we've taken care of it. And I'm like, it didn't tell me what had happened, who had done it. There's no, no information. Yeah. And it was just like, go back about your business. I'm like, I don't, what does that message mean? How does that, you know, it's a completely unintelligible thing that's just meant to evoke certain feelings. But anyway, I went and I found out it, they would tell me that it was germane, but they wouldn't tell me what it was. <laughs> so I just mm. wanted to say to everybody, hey, this is what Facebook said to me. I mean, I've I've removed a lot of things over the years. If 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 somebody complains, usually I'll remove it. I don't care. It's not like there's a scarcity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this was an interesting <laughs> yeah. one that I wanted everybody to see that that's the message it's sending me. So they know on the one hand that remember we're inside a, a media system here. Somebody controls this platform. But on the other hand, here's what it's like for me. It's not like I'm, you know. <laughs> I created this thing. I have a few more noms than the other people, but I'm not in control of this and I'm not trying to be an overseer and adjudicator in any strong way. Yeah, that happens to me in the Facebook groups a lot too. And it is in some ways a little bit disturbing sometimes the, uh, the unilateral decisions and, and there's a something dystopian feeling about it. If this was happening in any place outside of a digital sphere, you know, we, there was a disturber over here, but we've removed it. Go on about your that business. That is what they do. Like that's yeah. the normal form of administrative control over a system, right? There's a car crash. So the police are doing something. There's a piece of tape and they just want me to move along. <laughs> you don't need to know that someone's been yep. killing people in your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that cheery note, I'm, I'm out of my questions that I came up for you. Is there anything else that you want to go uh, over about me? Well, you know, a thing I, I thought, because to me, it's it's one of these things like this. Like, I don't even notice this thing until somebody asks, right? <laughs> I have to duck under it every time and I don't <laughs> even register it because it's so part of the normal for me. And the the picture right. <laughs> that I originally put up for Pascal's Integral Bad Cave is so normal to me, I never notice it. And so if someone asks, I'm a little bit caught off guard. I so I might say a couple of words about the pig mass. <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. I've, I've always wondered about that. <laughs> uh, about 
the turn of the millennium, just after the turn of the millennium. I had just gotten divorced from a hasty, entertaining marriage to my high school sweetheart. And I went to Japan. Mm. Uh, oh, no, no. There was, I joined a Buddhist community for a while. And I just left them and went to Japan, uh, focusing on Zen and yoga. And I had this copy of Wittgenstein's Tractatus. And I was rewriting it to be a Tractatus on what I called information theory at the time, which now is meta theory. Um, so I had this wonderfully rich, strange time fight club had just come out and I used to wear this woman's fur jacket with no shirt, shave my head and go to these Japanese parties with the women from the school system. And it was like a really chaotic, youthful time for me. And when I came back, I still was animated by that spirit. I got home, uh, deep cove on the Southern part of Vancouver Island, where I went to high school and some friends of mine. Uh, somebody gave me this mask and we went out to Moses point where we used to go as friends in high school. Um, and I just thought, well, this is it. I I'm already, I'm feeling this feeling, my crazy Japan feeling. So I stripped down to my underwear. I put the pig mask on and waded out into the water. And partly you're trying to reconnect with the elementals of your homeland as you re enter that sphere, but they got a couple of pictures. So that's, that's for me, that's post Japan is what me and that pig mask represents for me. <laughs> nice. I didn't know about that little chapter of your life. That's pretty cool. I've got a on Erpies, I had a picture of me dressed as a Korean schoolgirl dancing in a nightclub, um, still with a beard. Uh, and that, that, that's, you know, if I had a similar space, that's one I would put up there. That's my kind of mid Korean wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty similar to yours so. there's yeah. some i mean there's pictures we think look good and there's pictures that are meaningful and then there's these strange pictures you're like well that was a really weird thing that i did and took a picture of <laughs> right there's uh you know i had this huge uh satya sai baba afro for a while i've got a picture like that there's a picture of me pretending to smoke in a mall photo booth and they're like they're character pictures <laughs> rather than pictures of me that I just absolutely yeah. adore and carry with me in my heart. One of the ones that I saw you first, I, I think when you were kind of making your online reemergence after the integral naked um, stint and then disappearance was you um, either in or emerging from like a, a, a British phone booth uh boxes like a, like a doctor who kind of thing uh yeah what was yeah, the story yeah, with that the, one? uh well it actually goes farther back that's the the faux british phone booth at the empress hotel in downtown victoria bc which is a very uh at least it used to be sort of prided itself on its britishness even though british people don't think there's anything british about it uh there's several parts of the story i was a kid We'd come down to Victoria, you know, eight hour drive after taking the ferry from the island where I grew up. And I was so into Superman. He was at the center of my, uh, you know, five-year-old mythic pantheon. And I got this shirt, blue t-shirt, decal of the S, uh, came with a cape, put it on under my clothes. And I'm waiting for my moment, right? I'm going to switch from Clark Canada to Superman at any moment. We're walking down the harbor like tourists, and I see a phone booth. <laughs> Fantastic. They're walking. I duck in there. I whip the clothes off, and I'm so little, and the old door, iron door is so heavy, I can't open the thing. 
So I was expecting this heroic triumph, and now my family is walking away in a city I don't know while I'm trapped in a phone booth. <laughs> With a lot of pathos in that moment. But anyway, years later, uh, I ended up living in Victoria, and that phone booth was still there. And um, I took this picture to send to my mother, who'd sent me a picture of herself in a phone booth in Britain. And she always had this love of of British things. We watched 1980s Sherlock Holmes on the BBC and Jeeves and Wooster with Hugh Laurie and all this kind of uh, Douglas Adams. Like there was a sort of British humor thing that she and I shared when I was little. So I wanted to respond to this photo that she'd taken. So I took that picture of myself coming out of that. And then what I did, I don't know if you've seen this one, but I, I spliced them both together. I put she and I together in those booths against a moving cosmic background and sent that back to her to uh, continue our eternal cosmic play together. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, came across in the in the, the meme archives down there in, in the bottom, bottom <laughs> dregs of the bat cave. I found an old picture that... I think it made Luke Schaefer exclaim. I think it was Luke Schaefer. Um, could have been Zach, but I think it was Luke Schaefer that because you actually liked that picture and you, you said, this is one of the rare times that I'm actually liking a picture. Um, and Luke was just like, Oh my God, what's just happened? Layman liked a meme or, but basically it was the picture of you dressed as like a, you know, in a Saudi Arabian dress with a kind of a tent background. And I had superimposed a picture of me dressed in, in ceremonial Balinese dress, um, but it was very ghostly and only like halfway in there. Um, so. Yeah, that was great. That, uh, that captured a real Obi-Wan intrusion. <laughs> there was a, uh, an Islam celebration day in Victoria, a little bit before I left the city. Uh, and it was one of those things where I had nothing to do for a couple hours. So I was just going to a coffee shop or whatever. And there was a sign. I'm like, all right, I'm going in. There's a sign here. Let's explore. Uh, and I went in and there was these guys, they had this elaborate old school, like Muslim room. And, uh, they were just, just some fun, young Muslim guys who were like, Hey, you want to put on the clothes and take a picture? I'm like, sure. I do. Great. Uh, it was actually just when I was getting together with Saya and I, um, I got them to write her name out in Arabic calligraphy that I sent to her as one of our early, you know, symbolic exchanges with each other. Uh, you know, one thing that popped up for me actually was, was another little story because I'd made this one of my early favorites um, was something I'd done with the Yoda image. There's a bunch of interesting Yoda images. And after I'd read and tried to really, chew on for a while, Carol Dweck's growth mindset, I started to see how important the attempt was over the success and started to appreciate how much I'd been kind of falsely rewarded for being good at sports or good at memorizing math or things like that. Things that were just in me, I got rewarded for at school. And it had mm -hmm. always emotionally bugged me that other people were getting kind of like scolded for being who they were. And I didn't, I hadn't really clarified it to myself. I started thinking like, oh yeah, it's detrimental to reward people for how they are. It doesn't matter if it's a positive or negative evaluation, like you're just a dummy or you're so beautiful or aren't you good at science? You shouldn't get rewarded for what you happen to be. You should get rewarded for the efforts you make. That's sort of at the heart of the growth mindset argument for mm. education. So I made this meme that said of Yoda, 
I changed my mind. There is only try. <laughs> and mm. actually, Zach Schlosser <laughs> had contacted me and said, boy, that really disturbed me when I saw that. Because like a lot of us, he grew up really thinking yoga was the sage for our time. <laughs> Zach told Stephanie Lepp and Stephanie contacted me. To, we were going to do a project to try to get a grant to study transformational memes. That's how I met Stephanie, who later became the first guest on our Meta Podcast series. So thanks to Yoda Reversals. Wow. I had no idea about that. That's really cool. All right. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you about this, and I hope people will come give the, you know, enter the bat cave, give it a good look, and, uh, and, and join in yeah, the fun over there. Yeah, it's just a there. great thing to periodically play with. Um, it can be done quickly and it's a great developmental exercise for you. And there's a possibility that it can be of service to the community. And of course, most of them will vanish and be garbage, uh, but some of them are going to be beautiful, fresh shoots. Uh, thanks for doing this with me, Bruce. I'm looking forward to seeing how Riverside turns out. And I'm looking forward to seeing this with uh, some of the visual images thrown up. This has been fun. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that. All right. Well, take care. <laughs>